But before we turn to the Word of God, can I very briefly say that I'm very thankful to be back among you in the fellowship of the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are indeed living in perilous times, and the people of God, those who fear the Lord, do indeed love to speak oft one to another and make mention of his name. And we would value very much your prayers for the cause of truth in Northern Ireland, where uh, things are likewise perilous as they are here uh, in this part of England. But we turn in the word of God to Jeremiah chapter 42 and verse 20. Jeremiah 42 and verse 20, which reads, For ye dissembled in your hearts when ye sent me unto the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us unto the Lord our God, and according unto all that the Lord our God shall say, so declare unto us, and we will do it. Amen. Thus far we read the word of God. Jeremiah 42 and verse 20. Our theme is a very basic one, but very necessary. And it is how we should hear the word of God. How we should hear the word of God. When we read the word in private, when we hear it read in the home or in public, when its truth is proclaimed in corporate worship, how should we hear the word of God? The Lord Jesus said, take heed how ye hear. So it is important that we should be clear as to how we should hear the word of the Lord. Now, the setting of this verse uh, is as follows, and we need to take a little bit of time because the history is uh, not that straightforward. But we need to understand the setting of this verse in order uh, to have its true meaning. And so the background is as follows. After the Babylonians, also called the Chaldeans, they're the same people, the Chaldeans of Babylon, after they had taken Judah uh, captive, most of the nobility were taken into Babylon. So that uh, people like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken into Babylon. Later, Zedekiah had been appointed as a vassal king of those who were remaining in Judah and in Jerusalem. The king of Babylon appointed Zedekiah as a king, but under his uh, overall authority. Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar unsuccessfully and this brought further destruction upon Jerusalem 
Uh, you have that in chapter 39, and particularly verses 6 to 8. As a result of all this, only the poorest of the people generally were left. And the king of Babylon appointed Gedaliah to be the governor of the people. And then a man called Ishmael and his accomplices murdered Gedaliah and fled to the Ammonites. You have that in chapter 41 and the first five verses. The remnant of the people were terrified of what revenge King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon would take against them. So in chapter 41 and verse 17 and 18 we read, And they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is by Bethlehem, to go to enter into Egypt because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them, because Ishmael the son of Nethaniah had slain Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon made governor in the land. So the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor. Ishmael and his co-conspirators, they murdered, they put, they assassinated Gedaliah. The people then were terrified. What will the king of Babylon do in response to all this? And so in their fear, they were inclined to flee into Egypt. But before doing so, they asked Jeremiah, who was with them, to seek the word of the Lord. So in chapter 42, we find that uh, there, the, the beginning of the chapter, then all the captains of the forces, and Johanan the son of Kareer, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshea, and all the people from the least even unto the greatest came near, and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, Let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee, and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant. For we are left but a few of many, as thine eyes to behold us, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk, and the thing that we may do. So the people in their fear of the king of Babylon were ready to flee into Egypt, but they said, before we do that, let's seek the word of the Lord. And so they asked Jeremiah to seek a word from the Lord. Now, we do not have prophets today. We do not have men inspired infallibly with direct revelation from God. We have ministers of the word whose calling it is to take the complete scripture, the infallible word now all written, and to expound and to show its meaning and to declare its truth to the people. But nevertheless, in these events, there is a lesson on how we should read and hear the, the word of God 
when the word is read to us and its truth is proclaimed, how we should uh, receive it. We are bound uh, and obliged to read and hear the word of God and we ought to rightly receive that word, albeit we are unable to do so except by the sovereign grace and power of the Spirit of God. And professing Christians, uh, every time we come to a service of worship, we come to engage in all the ordinances of the Lord, and within that, to hear the word read, and to hear its truth proclaimed. And we should be coming with a desire to understand, to receive, to follow the word of God. So we seek, with the Lord's help, to bring out one or two very straightforward lessons from this passage. First of all, how the word of God should be preached. How the word of God should be preached. Verse 4 of chapter 42, verse 4. Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. Jeremiah says what he will do. He will bring the word of the Lord to them. He will declare it honestly to them. I will declare it unto you. And he will do so fully. I will keep nothing back from you. And the Apostle Paul could say to the Ephesian elders concerning his own ministry in Acts chapter 20, and he was telling the truth, not in pride, but in order to impress upon them their responsibility. Acts 20, verse 20, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And verse 26, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. As we said earlier, we do not have prophets but ministers are responsible to give the contents of the scriptures to the people in all their fullness. They are not to add nor subtract, but to give all the truth of God, the whole counsel of God. The passages that contain things that may offend, 
are not to be avoided. All the doctrines of the word of God are to be declared by the ministers of Christ. You remember how Ezra in the book of Nehemiah how he took the scriptures and he gave the sense to the people. And that is what is required even in the face of all discouragement. Jeremiah himself experienced the most profound discouragement in declaring the word of the Lord. In chapter 20 and verse 7 he says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. There Jeremiah was so discouraged and downcast. He said, I'll, I'll stop. I'll not declare the word of the Lord any more. It's not worth it. But then he found he couldn't stop because the word of the Lord was as a fire in his bones. But the word of God is to be preached honestly, fully, and completely. Without selectivity over all. Secondly, how the word should be anticipated. How the word of God should be anticipated. In verse 5 and 6 of our chapter, chapter 42, we, we read, Then they said to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not even according to all things for the which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. If this had been said in truth, it would have been an admirable and exemplary declaration of how we should come to the hearing of the word of God. They're saying, it turns out, and God knew all along, of course, but it, they're saying, it turned out that they didn't mean it, but they were saying, whatever the Lord says, we want to know it, believe it, and do it. So here, in what they professed, albeit insincerely, here we are told why you should want a minister. 
Why do you want a minister? Do you just want someone to keep things going? Or do you want to know the truth of God? To learn God's truth? To receive it? To follow it? They had a desire to know and to believe. So they said. But you say, why else would they say they wanted the word of God if not to follow it? Well, there are many strange and wrong reasons why some people will listen to the truth of God. In Ezekiel 33 and verse 30. Ezekiel 33 and verse 30. The Lord speaking to Ezekiel, chapter 33, 30. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. And speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them, for with their mouth they show much love. But their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. There were people who wanted to hear Ezekiel, but who had no intention of taking any notice of what he said. You say, but surely people who don't want the truth so as to follow it, they don't want to hear it either. Now, by and large, that's true. But there are exceptions. There are those who, for wrong reasons want to hear what is right. And there were those who went to hear Ezekiel. And they, for, they found it a pleasurable thing. Their hearts were hard. They were oblivious to what was being said. But they liked to hear it anyway. They found it a pleasant entertainment. And that still holds good. There are people who like to hear what they know is biblical preaching, but with no intention of taking real notice of it. I think it was the philosopher Hume who was once hurrying along the street and someone stopped him and said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to hear Whitfield. And he said, 
And the other man said, but surely you don't believe what he preaches? He said, no, I don't, but he does. In other words, he liked to hear Whitfield for reasons completely divorced from any desire to follow the word of God. And that can happen. In Northern Ireland, there are people who like to hear the old gospel and they know which men preach it and which men don't. But they've no desire to follow the word of God. They simply like the familiar sounds. So people can listen to the preaching of the word for all sorts of reasons. But here is the right reason. So as to know, understand, embrace and follow the word of God. We can desire to hear the truth with no desire to apply it so that our sinful pride can take pleasure in our understanding of it. That is the depth of our natural sinfulness that we can even make the truth of God an occasion of pride in our knowledge of it. The sinful heart of man can misuse anything, even the truth. And so we can have that knowledge that potheth up, whereas applied truth brings us down low before God. When the truth is applied by the Spirit of God so that we receive it rightly, it always exalts God and brings us down in our own eyes before the majesty of God. But these people profess to have a desire to know the truth and a desire to do it and to do it all. All things we will do. They professed a desire for unselective obedience to the word of God. Whatever it is, whether it be good or whether it be evil, God can be trusted. They're saying we can't lose out by believing God. And they professed confidence in the blessedness that comes from following the word of God. Verse 6, whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. These people weren't professing liberals. They weren't saying, well, you tell us what the Bible teaches and we'll decide which parts we want to uh, ha accept or acknowledge. They were professing. They were professing evangelicals, we might say. They said, give us it and we'll believe it and we'll receive it and we'll follow it. Perhaps they didn't know their hearts. You see, the fact of the matter is, then this is true even of Christians. 
that we never rightly receive any particle of the truth of God except by the Spirit of God. That's true. Not only is it true that the unconverted man must be born again of the Spirit before he can receive the truth of the gospel, but it is also true that as Christians we need continually the work of the Spirit to receive any part of the truth of God rightly, not only to understand, but to embrace in our hearts and to follow. We need the work of the Spirit always in receiving the truth. Perhaps these people did not grasp that, but they professed a readiness to receive and follow the word of God, whatever, whatever it said. And so thirdly we have the confidence that we should have in following the word. The confidence that we should have in following the word. In verse 9, Jeremiah says, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto whom ye sent me to present your supplication before him. If ye will still abide in this land, then will I build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom ye are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. And I will show mercies unto you, that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. The confidence we should have in following the word of the Lord. There is blessedness in following the word of God. Blessed are they that have the words of word of God and keep it. Do we believe that God can look after the consequences of faithfully following the word of the Lord? Or are we listening to the serpent, to the devil saying, hath God said, you remember we looked at that, last year when I was with you, that had God really said, could he really say that we should do such a thing when the consequences seem to our eyes potentially disastrous? Is it really good for us to heed the word of the law? Do we believe in in Daniel's God that if we do that which is right in his sight, he is well able as the sovereign God of heaven to look after all the consequences. Or are we Arminians at heart, if not in professed doctrine, that we behave as if we're not quite sure that it's always a good thing to follow the word of the Lord. As if 
as if God is not really sovereign. And he needs us to help things out by our compromises and by our sins and by our disobedience. That's why every sin involves unbelief. Every sin involves unbelief. That blessedness is not in the Lord and in following him. Churches get ruined by not believing that God's word is always right. When they compromise to keep people happy, they modify the doctrine, abandon church discipline, they think they're saving the church. They're ruining it. The Lord is sovereign over the consequences of obedience and disobedience. We can never lose out by following anything in Scripture. And our churches can never be too biblical. Do we believe these things? Do you think the church is ever harmed by following the Scriptures too much? You see, that's unbelief. word of God and deliver from the fear of man look at verse 11 be not afraid of the king of Babylon of whom ye are afraid be not afraid of him saith the Lord sometimes when we're afraid people can say don't be afraid but people that are telling us not to be afraid doesn't mean a thing The only one who can really tell us not to be afraid is the Lord of heaven. If he tells us not to be afraid, then we need not be afraid. You remember how last time I was with you in Matthew 28, that angel at the, at the tomb said to the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. The angel spoke the truth of God. If we have grounds in the word of God not to be afraid, we really do have grounds not to be afraid. Only the Lord can say, Be not afraid of him of whom you are afraid. Only he can say it, and it has meaning. The Lord tells them of his sovereignty over Nebuchadnezzar in verse 12. And I will show mercies unto you, that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own hand. The Lord is telling them, what Nebuchadnezzar will do to you 
is in my hand. But Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked man. Yes, he was. There are things about this that we cannot fully fathom. But the Lord is in control. He restrains the wrath of man and the remainder of wrath. The, 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 the wrath of man shall praise him. And the remainder of wrath he restrains. He, he unleashes or holds in the malice of men as he pleases. You see, the Lord is saying, you trust me and do what I say. I look after the king of Babylon. He will have mercy upon you and you'll dwell in your land. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Do we believe that? Or do we think that God is only vaguely in control? My God, God used the hands of the wicked in the accomplishment of redemption. Our Lord Jesus, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But he said it was according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God can use wicked hands in the accomplishment of redemption. Can he not so supervise the hands of the wicked in his providence for the good of his people all the days of their life in this world? And this assurance of the mercy of God is essential to hearty following. When we're born again of the Spirit, we apprehend the mercy of God in Christ to such as are penitent and we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and all along there needs to be this persuasion that obedience is right and that there is blessedness in it. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12 we read, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. For thy good. Believing and following the word of God honors God and it's good for us. Always. Satan told Adam and Eve it was bad for them. And they believed the lie. We must believe the truth. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We must know whom we have believed. Are we believing God? We struggle. Believers struggle to consistently believe the word of God. We need the Lord's grace to enable us more and more to live by the words that proceed out of his mouth. But the people of God have this, this guarantee 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not with him also freely give us all things? Will he not look after us? Will he not provide for us in the way of obedience? Will he not bless us and keep us? Will we lack any good thing if he spared not his own son for his people? He spared him not in that he, not only that he gave him, but he spared him not the wrath of God being poured out upon him. The argument is from the greater to the lesser. Indeed, the supreme uh, God, there is no greater manifestation of the love of God than the giving, the sparing not of his own son to bear his wrath in the place of his people. How can the people of God doubt that God will look after everything they need, that all things shall work together for their good if he spared not his own son? The God who spared not his own son is not going to be uh, niggardly and tight-fisted with any good thing that his people need. God doesn't doesn't require us to, uh, to go outside of his word as if he can't care for us in the way of following his truth. And that brings us, fourthly, The greatest fear we should have regarding the word. The greatest fear we should have. Verse 13. But if ye say, we will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go into the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor have hunger of bread, and there will we dwell. And now therefore hear the word of the Lord, ye remnant of Judah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if ye wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and go to sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword which ye feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine whereof ye were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there ye shall die." The greatest fear we should have regarding the word of the Lord is that we should not heed it. Here the Lord is saying, you're afraid of the king of Babylon. I'm telling you to stay where you are. If you go into Egypt, the sword Pestilence, the things that you fear, will follow you into Egypt. The course that you think is safe, but which is disobedient, I will make utterly unsafe. And the disaster you're trying to get away from will come upon you in Egypt. You have a similar thing in John chapter 11. You remember when they took a counsel against the Lord Jesus to put him to death in John chapter 11 and verse 49. In verse 48 they're saying, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. 
and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this speaking not of himself, but being high priest, that year he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Now Caiaphas here, in the providence of God, he was setting forth the truth of Christ's substitution for his people. But that was not what was in his heart. It's a wonderful example of God's providence. What Caiaphas was saying, was, was, or what he intended, was quite different from what God in his providence by the Spirit uh, actually uh, intended should be declared. What Caiaphas is saying, as the others are, are looking about and they're saying, if we don't do something about this, the Romans, there'll be a disturbance, the Romans will come, they'll take away our place and our nation. And Caiaphas in his arrogance, he's saying, ye know nothing at all. Listen to me. I know what the situation needs. It's expedient that one man should die for the nation, die that the nation perish not. So, whilst God in his providence was causing Caiaphas to set forth the truth of his Christ's substitutionary death, that wasn't what was in Caiaphas's heart. What Caiaphas was uttering was his wicked rule of expediency. Get rid of the man. National security requires it. Well, what happened? Yes, they crucified the Lord of glory. And in AD 70, the Romans came and they surrounded Jerusalem and they destroyed it. The very thing that they professed to be trying to avoid by their wicked expediency, God brought it about. They did lose their place. So here in Jeremiah, the Lord is wont to manifest his wisdom over against man's. But when we ignore his truth to avoid consequences, he brings the very consequences we were seeking to avoid upon us. To glorify his wisdom, his sovereignty, his power, and his truthfulness. And that's what the Lord is saying will happen. You do what you think is safe. I'll make it utterly unsafe. What you go into Egypt to avoid, you'll get in Egypt. We should fear not consequences, but sin. That's true of us as individuals. Are you afraid of following God's word? Or of not following it? Faith 
causes us to be afraid of not following God's will. Not of following it. And that's true for churches. As a church here, what should you fear most concerning the future of this church? What you should fear is not being regarded as out of date. You don't need to fear that. You don't need to be afraid of being thought of as odd. If it's a scriptural oddness, you don't need to be afraid of that. What you need to be afraid of is spiritual declension and departure from the word of God. That's what you need to be afraid of. And if you're afraid of that, then you needn't be afraid of anything else. Because the Lord will look after Consequences. Faithfulness. That faithfulness which he enables his, in his people. He blesses and looks after. His love follows with love. He causes his people to be faithful and he blesses them in it. That's what the Lord does that matters. That's what we should be concerned about. In the book of Revelation churches that Christ threatens he doesn't threaten them with what others might think he threatens them with what he will do I will take my candlestick out of its place I will spew thee out of my mouth it's what Christ will do that matters And then fifthly, the test of our commitment to the word of God. The test of our commitment to the word of God. Verse 19. The Lord said concerning you, O ye remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. For ye dissembled in your hearts when ye sent me unto the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us unto the Lord our God, and according unto all that the Lord our God shall say, so declare unto us, and we will do it. God knows the heart. When we read what they professed earlier on, we can't tell that it was false. We know because it's given to us later on in the passage, here in these verses. God says, ye dissembled. The Lord declares it. He knew. But we wouldn't have known if we just read earlier on when they said, according to all that the Lord shall say unto us, whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will do it. But the Lord knew that they wouldn't do it. The truth of the matter becomes evident 
when the word of the Lord runs contrary to our natural inclinations. And in this case, it did. If the word of the Lord had said, yes, go to Egypt, we might not have known what was in their hearts. God would have known it. But if the word of the Lord had fitted in with what they wanted to do, they could have looked as if they were faithful. But it's when the word of the Lord doesn't fit with what we are inclined to do that the real submissiveness of heart or otherwise becomes apparent. And it did. They weren't really desirous to do whatever the word of the Lord said. But only if the word of the Lord said what they wanted it to say. Why do people twist scripture? Well, here's one of the main reasons. People want to do what they want and to feel they're being biblical at the same time. That's why people twist it. To make it fit in. That's what they wanted to do, but they couldn't because Jeremiah told them the truth. And then finally, why the word of God is rejected. Why the word of God is rejected. Chapter 43, verse 2. Then spake Azariah the son of Hoshea, and Johanan the son of Kareah, and all the proud men, saying unto Jeremiah, Thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there. But Barak the son of Neriah setteth thee on against us. For to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. Proud men. And verse 2. Azariah the son of Hoshea and Johanan the son of Kareah and all the proud men. You might say, but weren't they just afraid? Yes, but they were afraid because they were proud. Pride and unbelief go together. They thought their way was wiser than God's. And so they, instead of saying we're not going to do what God says, they say oh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the word of God at all. They come up with this conspiracy theory. It's like Barak and he's set Jeremiah on and, uh, to get us all to stay here so that we'll be slaughtered. That's what people do. People who profess to be Christians but weren't. How, how did liberalism, how did it get here? How did, how did it ruin the churches? Well, there must have been people who had professed to believe the Bible but who didn't like it. And so they were ready to say, well, it, it's not all true after all. 
you're not a Christian. Do you know why you don't come to Christ? Why you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know what's behind it all? That unwillingness to trust in Jesus Christ, to depend upon him, take away your terrible guilt in the sight of God? Whatever respectable excuse you give yourself, the real reason is that you have a proud heart, high nature, and that that heart has not been renewed by the Spirit of God. And the wicked, through his pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. That's why it's not some little thing that keeps you back. Sometimes over in Northern Ireland, people will talk about someone and they'll say, there's some wee thing keeping him back. There isn't some wee thing keeping him back. There's a wicked heart, an evil heart of unbelief, unrenewed by the Spirit of God, so that what Christ said to the Jews is true of every unbelieving man and woman who hears the gospel. Ye will not come unto me that ye might have life. No man cometh to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Ye must be born again. Or ye shall not see the kingdom of God. The problem is not a little one. It's a huge one. But only the almighty power and sovereign grace of God can remedy, if he pleases, by delivering from the addiction to the love of darkness, renewing the heart, so that the Christ who you need becomes desirable to you. The scripture tells you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the scripture tells you that by nature you will not come to him. You must cry to God for mercy to deliver you from the love of darkness. And then to the people of God collectively what is the basis of unity in the church of God. The basis of unity in the church of God is God-given submission to his word. There can be no real unity on any other basis. In Ephesians 4, it talks about the extraordinary and the continuing gifts of preaching, Christ having exalted been exalted to the right hand of God. He gave uh, apostles, secondary prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry till we all come in the unity of the faith. Full stature of the perfect man in Christ. We need truth to unite. That's the opposite of what is currently popular thinking. The idea is that doctrine divides. Well, 
true doctrine unites those who are of the truth. You can't have unity without doctrine. True doctrine. You need truth to have unity. You can have a facade, certainly, of nice people who gather and do certain things, but if we're going to have real unity as a, a church that is united, it must have truth. And the working of the Spirit bringing the people into submission to the truth as it is in Jesus. Individually, do you have problems with guidance? A great deal of, is, is said and written about guidance, how God guides his people. The biggest difficulty, the biggest hurdle in seeking guidance from God is in the heart. The word of God is not inadequate to guide us in any and every situation. The difficulty lies in that we have hearts. Even the people of God have hearts that still have indwelling sin and corruption, pride. And so the great matter when we're seeking guidance from God is to seek his grace so that we'll be willing, truly willing, not just pretending like these people, truly willing to do whatever the word of God says. That is the hardest thing, the main thing, in seeking guidance from God. It's not conflicting theories of guidance, it's the willingness of the heart. And only God can, by his grace, subdue us so that we're really willing to follow the word of God, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We will obey word of the Lord. That needs the grace of God and Christians need that grace continually to become more and more submissive to the word of God so that every thought will be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. But we have such encouragement if God spared not his own son for his people can we not trust Lie upon his word. Live by the words of his mouth. As it applies to everything, every part of our lives. But to this man will I look. Even to him that is of a broken and contrite spirit. And with trembling.